Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Ozebal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into episode 241 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Hope you all are safe and sane. We are in week who knows what of quarantine. Um, if you noticed or uh, for anyone asking, we did switch our publish date for the podcast. We're experimenting with a midweek release just to see um, if that works better for everyone. Um, so apologize for the gap of last week, but we're back. Um, we're still cruising, and this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. We will be announcing the winner of the Dream Symbol Gorilla Ride giveaway at the, towards the end of the episode. Once again, we want to thank everyone who participated. It was very cool to see your clave variation beats. Um, we will be doing another giveaway with Dream here in a few weeks, so stay tuned uh, for details on that. But again, this episode is sponsored by our good friends at Dream Symbols, so make sure you follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and check out their YouTube page. They're always posting some really nice demos of their products as well as some lessons from some of their artists. That's Dream Symbols, and also this episode is brought to you by RMI Music. RMI Music is the label owned by Russ Miller, the great drummer, studio drummer, touring artist, Russ Miller. So this is a privately owned independent record label, um, and if you didn't know about his label, RMI Records was actually started in 1994. He has 18 different records on the label, seven different artists, including his own band, uh, Arrival. Um, he's got four records coming out this year, first of which is Kirk Covington, great fusion drummer, uh, keyboardist, singer, multi-instrumentalist, Kirk Covington. He's got a record called Captain Kirk and the Devil Horns. Uh, we have been promoting that a bit in Modern Drummer Magazine, but if you haven't checked it out yet, if you go to YouTube and look up Soul by Covington and the Devil Horns, there's a live in-session video on YouTube of that. There's also one for the song called Temperance uh, by, by Covington and the Devil Horns. That's also from a live session. Um, and then there's um, another one called Chase the Blues Away. So if you haven't checked out Kirk Covington, you're in for a treat. This guy's intense, super musical, tons of chops, very creative. Check out Kirk Covington's band, Captain Kirk and the Devil Horns. Woo! 
<laughs> we are disorganized today, but it's going to be awesome. I can feel it. It's going to be awesome. Happy Monday to you. It's a new day. It's a new day. And hopefully, if all goes well, you're seeing this pop up in your, your podcast app on Tuesday morning. First thing, we're trying a new, a new daily schedule. I don't know if we ever explained why we were doing Fridays, but that was simply because of our schedule three, four years ago. We needed to do Fridays. That was it. <laughs> it was, it was weird. And... And then as time went on, it gave us this buffer period of like, all right, we'll, we'll record on Wednesdays and we'll get it out on Friday. But that really means that we can cancel it on Wednesday, yeah. do it on Thursday, and last minute cancel that, yeah, do it yeah. Friday morning, yeah. and push it out a immediately. Mad scramble before the end of the workday <laughs> to get it published. So we're trying yeah. to be a little bit more... I don't know, whatever. We're, we're experimenting. We're seeing if this reaches more people this way. I, I kind of, I think we were kind of selling it short by releasing it over the weekend. Sorry to anyone who got into the use to, to the routine of every Friday. There's a new podcast, but hopefully this will be your new routine and it'll still be there for you on Friday. You can just ignore the fact that it comes out on Wednesday or Tuesday. There you go. Or now I'm not going to, whenever out. it comes out, I'm not going to do a big rundown for us, but I have to say I am excited about today's podcast because. We have our scouting report, which is just reflective of the fact that uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, we had the NFL draft. And so if you listen to sports radio like I do, you're always hearing these scouting reports. And we thought, what would it be like to have a scouting report on a drummer? So we're going to get into that for a little bit. And then we have some a really cool gear review because it's more of a I wouldn't call it a shootout as much as a comparison video. But you have three of the exact same dimensions, exact same snares, just different woods. And they're also, what I kind of like about it is there are woods that, two of the woods for sure, the, uh, you have oak, what's the other one, ash, and... Elm. Elm. Okay, so actually one of the woods. One of the woods, the oak, is the one that I thought, well, I know what that does. Nope. The longer we do this podcast, the more I am <laughs> positive that, that you cannot break anything. Every single drum is its own unique thing, and you just have to treat it as such. You can't even, you, there's just no no way to stereotype a wood. And I'm sure Oak's like, hey, you don't know me, yeah, Johnston. you don't know me at all. You don't Whatever know you me. think you I'm know. S- <laughs> I'm steam bent. You be talking about them other ply dogs. I'm a steam bent shell. You've been talking about glue all these years. <laughs> I went to Stanford. <laughs> I'm an educated steam bent shell. All right. So how was your week, man? I don't know, dude. I don't know. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been a week? Has it been two weeks? It's, it's been, been more than a week. Years? I don't know what the hell's going we'll on. Keep in my talking world. while I go find some paper towels. <laughs> God dang it. There's tea everywhere. Sir, you're <laughs> right. Ask me that question. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's been, uh, gosh, literally, it's been craziness. So I've got a bunch okay. of records I've been doing. I just got, um, I don't know if you saw my, uh, the, the kid I just set up, but it's my Charlie Watts set up. So I've got ten tracks I have to record that are that are kind of like Rolling Stones sound alike tracks, which is super fun. Uh, awesome. So we'll kind of dig more into my thoughts on Charlie's drumming in a later segment. But and then before that, I got to use my stainless steel kit for the first time ever. For this. I didn't even know you had a stainless steel kit. It's kind of like a, a piecemeal kit. I got a old marching drum. It's like a ten by twenty six. I traded that um, to my buddy John Emmerich. Um, as a he was using it as a concert drum, but I'm using it as a just originally as a woofer, but now it's my kind of John Bonham kind of crazy bass okay. drum. So then I just filled it out. I bought a 12 inch Ludwig rack tom from the 70s, and then I found a 15 inch old marching drum that I turned into a floor tom. So I've got this weird 
sort of Ludwig stainless steel, but a lot of marching drums. Um, and it is crazy sounding. I mean, it's like my wow. uh, my punk rock meets Led Zeppelin kind of vibe. It's just gnarly. So that was super fun. I did one track with that. That was the debut. My back hurts because those suckers are heavy. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so heavy. I can only imagine. Uh, not a gigging kit. No, I unless would. it's the house kit that you leave there, and you're like, "Good luck." Yeah, if I mean, I'd love I to see you run down the, the street with this. Yeah, if I was going to tour with a band and needed this just silliness, it would be road cases and it would be on wheels and take it up there yeah. and pull it out. I mean, it's not a, it's definitely not a throw in the back of your your SUV kind of kit. Right, sure. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, that's cool when you get to get some use out of that stuff to prove to that part of your brain that's like, do I really need to keep, why do I have this? It's and true. then when it, when it actually, I've got that uh, vintage bass drum that I bought, bought from Bryson. I I was like thinking, why did I literally, I know why I got it. I got it because I like the color. Yeah. yeah that's it. Yeah. And then somehow someone found, like, you know how every once in a while someone will make a comment on an Instagram video from like a year ago of yours where you're like, what, why would... And you click on it and you haven't seen that video in a while. And it was that bass drum and that, and it just totally reinforced. Yes, I do need to keep it. That bass drum <laughs> does something that nothing else that I own does. I love it. Campers are going to enjoy playing it. Yeah. Keep the drum. Yeah, for sure. And this, this track was weird because it is totally different. This, this, this artist in particular, he's just all over the map. It's a lot of like Mr. Bungle and, and Faith No More kind of sounding Ooh. stuff. So stylistically all over the map. And then, it's super fun, and he's an, a really good singer. So I was listening to the track for this one, and it's very kind of 80s, post-punk, just kind of weird. I'm like, I can't throw up a maple kit. The birch kit's going to be, like, too clean. Like, what's the weirdest, gnarliest, most aggressive thing I got? I'm like, oh, yeah, those stainless things have just been, like, piled in the corner over there. There you go. By the way, for everybody that's listening on a – Tuesday afternoon, if my voice started sounding a lot better, that's because I pulled a freaking Dawson and the microphone was turned around backwards. And I was looking, I'm like, where's the logo? I got to tell you, Amber was using this mic yesterday during the virtual drum camp. I don't know what she did to it, but all of a sudden I couldn't see the logo. And I'm like, this damn mic is in cardioid pattern and it is turned around backwards. So if I was a little nasally... Oh my God! Episode one two hundred and forty-one, and we're still working out the kinks. Hopefully, Jeez. mine doesn't. I'm not going to make fun of you because I have no idea if mine works. But I'm glad you found it. It sounds good now. <laughs> How red is my face? <laughs> I'm so unhappy right now. Ah, I wasn't tinkering. Let's not worry about it. It's all okay, good. Okay. Let's talk about your camp. You had your first it off my shoulders. Virtual drum camp, which is yeah. I can't believe you haven't done it before. So let's give the whole rundown what happened so yeah i mean we can talk about why i haven't done it before so we've been we've had the tech i guess ever since we moved into this facility so about for 10 years we could have done a virtual drum camp if we wanted to because technically mikeslessons.com is that it's just not it's lessons not set it's not set up in a camp format well the reason i haven't done it before is because I value camps a lot and my camps are, I don't want to have a virtual version take over my real camps. My real camps are my chance to lab with students and be there in the room with them and see what's working and what's not working and talk to them at a lunch and a dinner and five more lunches and dinners and ask them, hey, what are you doing on the website that's really working for you? What's not working for you? What did you find that was too difficult? Like maybe my expectations in the video were too difficult. So I, I it would be 
such a loss if I couldn't do actual drum camps. So really, I figured the website is virtual and drum camps are in person. I'm not doing virtual drum camps. And and that, like you mentioned, I mean, I've been able to do this forever. So this isn't a COVID-19 thing. Well, what had happened was obviously we do get a lot of people asking for virtual camps for the last few years saying like, look, I can afford your camps. I just can't afford to get there. I live in Mm -hmm. Iceland. I live in New Zealand. The travel's too expensive. I also can't take a week off work. Would you ever consider doing a virtual one? And unfortunately, the answer was always no. Uh, Well, what I started thinking about was, one, I needed something to get my ass in gear to create the curriculum for the 2020 camps. Because every time Amber would say, hey, you got to start writing the curriculum because we always write new books for every year. I would say, yeah, I watched the news this morning. They just pushed things back to April. Now they just pushed things back to mm-hmm. May. Now they pushed it back to June. So it's been holding me off like, ah, eh, I'll write the camp book just like a typical drummer. I'll write it when things are getting closer <laughs> right. because that pre- it's it's a lot of work to write an entire book knowing that it'll never be published. Yeah. It's only for this thing and then it's done. So this was a little way to get me to do that. It also got my mind thinking of camps. And then I think there was just a general curiosity on my part of can this be accomplished? Can I pull off an eight-hour day of drum camp mm-hmm. in a virtual setting? And then lastly, I thought we were in a unique place where generally your average drummer, man or woman, is home on the weekends because they work during the week. And that weekend time is their time to spend with their family. And the wife or the husband is like, no, 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 you're not going to go play drums for eight hours. We haven't seen you all week. Mm -hmm. You're going to spend time with the family. Well, we're in a unique position right now where those same people are now, they've been home for months and their family would love for them to go in a basement for eight hours and go away. (laughs) Right. So I I really thought, I I asked all the campers, I was like, is your family cool with this? They're like, yes. Hmm. Yeah. I'll be in my basement for the next eight hours. They're totally cool with this. So that was the other part of it was I thought it could work out. So that's why we did it. Now, what about, um, I mean, normally they campers come to you and you have practice pad kits and you have, they can practice on a real kit. I mean, what's the expectation? Are they more observing practice pad only? I mean, what is the process? Yeah, so I let them know we had a Zoom call. We kept it to 10 students and we had a Zoom call before the camp started. And I let them know that the entire curriculum was written as kick snat hair. Okay. Kick snare hats, but kick, you know, <laughs> podcast. So I let them know you can do anything you want on the toms, but you do not need it. So as long as you can get to the corner of your bed and put a practice pad there, stomp on the floor, and then use a, a paper plate as your hi-hat, mm-hmm. you can you can participate. What I wasn't expecting is how much this actually made it better for my students because a lot of the students in the Zoom calls said, you know, at camp, I am stuck on your practice pad kit that you've chosen for us. But this time I was on my drum set at my heights, mm-hmm. my comfort zone, and I was able to practice material that I would normally not be able to play, but in the most comfortable setting possible, especially for my boy Danny, who's been to two camps and he is left-handed, left-hand oh, yeah. lead, left-footed. And he always has this guilt going that he shouldn't have to have. But every time he comes up to demo a thing, we have to swap the whole kid around. Sorry, Danny. And you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, keep in mind, Dawson is a left-handed I drummer. I am left-handed. You're just Or a left-handed wrong. human. You made a mistake many years ago. You should have watched MTV a little bit more closely. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, I love you. The, the core beard is looking good on you, brother. Everything's good. So... He, he even said, he's like, man, just to have you teach something and in that moment be able to start practicing because I'm on my own kit, my left-handed setup, 
It's like that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. So that part was really cool. I we found no faults in that. Um, the one thing I was curious is how do we get a camp vibe? That's why I have camps is so that these people can become brothers and sisters for the rest of their lives, support each other mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. And I got to say, without the Zoom calls, there would be no camp vibe. It would just be me on camera for eight hours straight going like, do you have any questions? And that's not a camp to me, like seeing them and meeting with them. So the way it worked was we had uh, the day before camp, we had a 10-person Zoom call or 11-person with me. Uh, Amber was actually on two. So 12 people Zoom call. And then we let them know what to expect. We let them know how the flow was going to go. And then the classes were 45-minute classes with 15-minute Q&A, but the Q&A could only be related to the class. Mm. You could not ask, like, a hi-hat question after I just taught a syncopation lesson. Right. So we did that. Then there would be, like, a, a tea-slash-snack-slash-potty break. Then we come back. we do it again. Then we did the Zoom call, and the Zoom call was where it's like, now anything you want to ask, it's open season. Ask anything you want. We did that. Then we had a lunch break. Then we did three more classes, all with Q&As. Then we did a virtual shed session where we traded fills, then we traded fours, then we traded fills in seven, eight, and then we all played Take Me Home by Phil Collins. I played this little repetitive tom part, and I was like, I'm not going to play the drum part to this song. I'm going to play this melody for the entire five minutes of the song. You play whatever you want. Let's just be a family and get out of this thing. Then we did one more final Zoom call. So that was their day. We had one guy in Ireland, or no. Uh, yeah, Ireland. He had to stay up till about one a.m. and then we had one guy in Austria that stayed up till three a.m. Wow, to finish dedicated. the class. And I told him I'm archiving all of this for you on a private page where you'll be able to see all of these classes individually and the camp book and everything. Uh, you can go to bed, and they were all in, man, and they were in for that last Zoom call, and it was badass. So it was good. Uh, will I do it again? Yes, because I think maybe. Three to four of these per year, even when I'm doing my normal camps, would be great for what I mentioned before. The people that say, I I just can't afford to travel there and take a week off work. Um, And if you think about somebody coming from New Zealand, Australia, China, uh, they're not taking the time off to be at camp. It's also two days of travel to get here, a day and a half to get home. Yeah, that adds up quick. And then lunches, dinners, breakfast. Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden it's like, well, your camp fee is quite reasonable, <laughs> but all in we're looking at $75,000. <laughs> and because of air travel, I had to rent a private jet to get there. Like, <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Job and- <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think we will do a few of these per year. We are going to, the only thing that's going to change, we're going to do a couple more in a couple weeks, but the one thing that's going to change is we're going to split it up into two days so that people that are overseas can manage it. So it'll be a 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. West Coast thing, Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that way, uh, one, I still have the bulk of my day. So, I mean, yesterday, my whole day was gone, obviously. Yeah. we. I got here at like 7 in the morning to start testing every ounce of the tech. Like, okay, cameras, lights iPad batteries. I mean, you know, I've never, I've never been on camera for eight hours straight. That was bananas. I mean, how exhausted were you by the end of it? Never on camera, but I, I didn't notice it until I was like, "All right, bye, guys," and like waved at the Zoom. Okay, bye. <laughs> and you, like, throw and up then all it's over the place. yeah, I was like, "Gosh!" I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, I call uh, texting Amber, and Amber was here the whole time too with Juno because she had to change all the cameras. Oh man, because we can't have our normal guy Nate here. So she was there. She was fielding all the questions. But the most important thing was I wanted them to know, look, you paid a lot of money for this. I don't take that for granted. I have to put this on at the best quality possible. So it was four cinema cameras, 
you know, uh, automated sliders. Amber's got perfect lighting in here. She's asking the questions. Uh, you know, we, we went the extra mile as far as we could. Uh, and then I think that the most important thing was all the campers were like, that was crazy how much I just learned in one day. And I had to let them know the pricing structure of real education. I think you'll relate to this, but I had to let them know right away, look, that's stuff that you probably found me doing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's free? It's because I don't value it. Mm-hmm. That's right. why I give it away. It's I've never done any of that stuff in the history of a, of, a, of my lifetime. <laughs> I've never gigged with like, here it comes. <laughs> like, that's, that's just not how it works. Uh, and then I had to let them know too, okay, now, the, now we go to mikeslessons.com and that is a paid service. But it still has a structure of what online learning is, small bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Now you've paid a ton of money to attend a virtual camp. We're going to work on quarter notes. Yeah. That's the most valuable thing to me. So I said, I know this is going to seem boring, but by the end of me just teaching the subdivisions lesson, everyone was like, can we just stop the camp now? I've got a year of work to do. Well, yeah, that's that's always the thing about it. You, know, you feel like you have to over-deliver all the time, right? And you really right. think about it like they probably have their entire career already. I mean, cool. rest of your life, we'll work on that stuff. I'll see you five, six years maybe. Yeah, like and so you, I had to really temper those expectations of this whole camp is not for you. You need to observe this camp taking place and find three or four nuggets that will change your life that are really applicable to you. But it does, you, you don't have enough time in your life to be a master of all of these things because I'm not a master of all these things. I'm just showing you, hey, you've probably played for 10, 20, 30 years, and you might not have your subdivisional structured down you mm-hmm. might not be able to freely go from eighth notes to quintuplets and back and is that applicable to you i don't know but if if it is you know then then you got to get on it so we had a great time like i said i'll do it again but the one thing that was fun is i'm on the 98th drum camp here at mikeslessons.com i I am 97 camps removed from the first camp. And I remember the first camp like it was yesterday. Mm. I haven't had a first camp in a long time. That was badass to have my first ever virtual drum camp and look at these faces on Zoom and be like, guys, this is it. We are the only <laughs> first virtual camp on MikeSelsons.com. <laughs> that was kind of cool. I got to say, like I was – I mean, and then when we played that Phil Collins song, Take Me Home, oh, my God. If you, I'll send you the video. My head is turned away from the camera the whole time because there's like tears rolling down my face. <laughs> And I'm like, dum, tuk, dum, tuk, da. Tuk, tuk, now I imagine da. everyone was like, oh, muted. God. You couldn't have possibly synced it up. No, no, I, I don't see anybody. Remember, I'm just streaming oh, right, live. It's right. not on Zoom. So all they hear is this melody that I'm playing, and I had the song cranked, and then they hear themselves. Yeah. So, but when we got on the Zoom call, everyone was like, oh my God, <laughs> we just played a song, and it was, it was a lot of fun. So, anyways, we will do more of that. It's and cool, uh, congratulations. Always up, thanks, up in the game. Good luck following in your wake. (laughs) Whatever. All right, let's move on to something else. Uh, So Dream Contest, Masters of Maple. Are we talking about that stuff? Well, I mean, unfortunately, with having to adjust our schedule, we were going to promote the Masters of Maple COVID-19 Music Cares uh, promo, (laughs) which went on sale. If today is Tuesday morning, they went on sale yesterday. I believe there are only 10 pieces available, so if you didn't get your order in, they're probably gone. gone. But it was always worth going back and checking Masters of Maple's website. Maybe they didn't sell out. Um, I'm using – I have one of the original 5x14s here 
That is my Charlie Watts snare. It's just the perfect, trashy, throaty, like classic rock sound. We can talk about it when we get back to our scouting report, or we're about to start our scouting reports in a bit now that I'm looking at the schedule. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm really curious as to what, and this isn't about the Charlie Watts scouting report, but I'm curious as to what changes in your mindset. As soon as you say Charlie Watts, I feel like you're let off the hook as far as like, dude, you don't have to do anything flashy. You don't have to do any frills. You know you have no no chops. But then there must be this whole other completely separate boatload of pressure of now you have to care about the little things you do more than you've ever cared about them. Yeah, it's all about um, style. It's 100% style, right? style and taste and picking, making the right choices, limiting your vocabulary. So anything any, I mean, yeah, it was way more challenging for me to get that first take of like, okay, now I'm kind of channeling the vibe. Like, do I do the the right hand doesn't hit on the back beats, even though Charlie Watts, when he re- records, always plays the back beats normal on the high hand. Does he really? Yeah, it's only a live thing. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that I'd mess around with like, nah, that's not quite right. And there's a certain tightness to his groove that it's just, it's just herky jerky in like a cool way. So yeah, not being no, too I mean, style relaxed, is the you gotta be a little bit kind of edgy. Do you actually go through? Do you actually position your body a little more, Charlie Watts? Like, do you find that happening, or are you still Mike Dawson, hundred uh, percent? No, I went, I went weird. I had traditional grip. I kind of made the toms a little bit hard to reach because I wanted it to be wow. a little bit more difficult to play. I didn't want it to feel super relaxed. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and I got the kit to match as best as I could. So, yeah, there's a certain thing to him that it's all style. It's all being really deliberate and just, you know, only playing the song. There's no At no yeah. moment are you like, let me do something cool. And do something that follows the guitar riff. That's the only rule. Follow the guitar riff. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a really cool thing. How do we get right, on that? We'll anyway, yeah, so the Dream Contest will pull the winner here in a bit for that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. There we go. All right, well, let's get into some educational stuff. I want to talk about ostinatos, and that's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast quite a bit because it just falls under drummer nerd terms where people use things like, oh, it's a metric modulated polyrhythmic ostinato with beat displaced. And it's like, stop talking. Like, <laughs> you're, just stop talking. You're just trying to create something. Uh, so let's talk first about what constitutes an ostinato. And I'm not talking like, let's dig it up on Wikipedia. Just in your mind, is it as simple as repeated pattern? What constitutes an ostinato? Yeah, for me, it's that's all it is. It's a repeated pattern, usually short enough to where you can identify the pattern pretty quickly. Uh, it had to be okay. pretty brief. I mean, one measure long, probably at most for me. Otherwise, it becomes a phrase, a repeated phrase. There you go. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really good aspect of it because people, a lot of times when I'm teaching students, I don't know why this became my go-to order of ostinatos but my first foot ostinato that i teach a student that's getting into a little bit more advanced drumming would be samba and then it either will go to uh shift over to cuba and be tumbao or it'll go to bio back to brazil but they're always shocked at the difficulty level difference between samba which might take them a while and then as soon as we hit bio or tumbao it shuts them down like they're like, I really can't even start this. I'm like, well, it's twice as long. Mm-hmm. Samba is if you're feeling it as sixteenth notes, Samba is one beat long. One, 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 one. Bio is two beats long. One, two, one, two, one, 
to. Yeah. So you have twice as many little placements that the E's and the U's can go against that bass drum, that you know, second and third bass drum. So stretching it out, yeah, I, I agree with you. Once we hit a measure, I'm like, stop. Um, it's a vamp at that point. It's not really awesome. Total, yeah, good point. Okay, so does here's another misconception. Ostinato is something you do with your feet. I, when you were talking about that, I was going to ask, do you teach ostinatos mostly as foot patterns? Because I do the opposite. I teach them as right hand patterns first. And awesome. I focus on foot freedom over top of right hand ostinatos. Yeah, and I think that's completely stupid. And that- <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see how long I could look in your eyes. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> now, I, I think... I wouldn't have thought of it unless you brought it up, but yes, I think that the first time I use the term ostinato with a student yeah. is on the feet, but that is not their first ostinato they learn. So they, I might have taught them bass drum freedom underneath ding, chicka ding, chicka ding, chicka ding, which I would absolutely consider to be an ostinato, mm-hmm. but I probably wouldn't use that word yet, and, and I don't really have a reason for it. I just it probably wouldn't have come up in my private teaching and then as soon as we started doing something repetitive with two feet even if it was just marching in place mm-hmm. just boom chick then for some reason it clicks like now we're in the ostinato land and then after i've mentioned it once now that term is freely used all the time all right we're gonna do an ostinato with the right hand and they're like oh the thing you taught me six years ago yeah it wasn't an ostinato <laughs> back then but now it is because you know what that word means so i agree with you as far as the order of teaching they're definitely going to learn some right hand ostinato patterns yeah. first, um, but I don't. I just it's weird. I, I don't think I've ever called it an ostinato at that point in their lessons. Uh, so really, let's get back to the point though. Is just playing a single limb repeated pattern an ostinato? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yes. percent. You know, I don't think I use the term very much. I try to avoid classical music terminology usually, unless the student is in that world because it, okay. I don't. I think it just adds an extra layer of confusion of trying to teach Italian when I just mean play this right, right hand pattern and repeat it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call it very soft. We don't have to go. <laughs> is it pianissimo or is it triple piano? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those old get quieter old kind of pedagogical things that I have a hard time unless we're looking at you know the offered book and it has these words in it. Right, drum set players. I don't know. I guess at some point you have to know what an ostinato is, but yeah. I think I think it's our <clears throat> job as teachers just to make sure that they're familiar with things they might encounter somewhere else. And yeah. my thought is if I have this drummer that's completely trained up and can play his or her butt off and then they go for one private lesson with their dream teacher, whoever that is, and that person says, OK, just do like a simple ostinato with your feet and we're going to play some stuff with their hands. I don't want this badass drummer to be like, what's an ostinato? So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm not drilled. I I don't drill them on it. I'm not worried if they really know what it means, but I'm probably using it very loosely. Like, all right, let's do this ostinato. By the way, that just means repeated pattern, and I casually move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, I'm okay uh, what was the original question? Yeah, I think a right hand quarter notes on the right hand is an ostinato, and I I. Okay, so it doesn't that. need to be syncopated. No, nope, just it's some just kind of consistent. repeated pattern where one or two or three other limbs are playing something against it, and it doesn't change. That's, I think, the key. Like, if I'm playing eighth notes on my right hand, which we could consider an ostinato, and then two and four on the snare, and then one and three on the kick, I don't consider that my right hand's really playing an ostinato because the other two limbs aren't playing against it. 
if I started right. freely improvising with my bass drum, then I would consider the hand part yes. to be an ostinato. Yes, or in that, the, the previous example, the, if the left foot started playing melodies over top of that three-limb rock beat, I would there consider we go. that rock beat your ostinato. And I do... It's it's great that you bring that up. I do use the amount of limbs in the terminology. Like I will say, all right, we're going to do a two-limb ostinato. Here's the repeated part between mm. these two hands. Now your feet are free to do whatever they want. Or your feet are the two-limb ostinato. They'll be playing this. But I do think an ostinato can be anything repetitive. The key to an ostinato is that it buys you freedom to play less. And that's, I think, the most important. When people think, like, why do I have to do all this crappy independence work? If I played this... Glat, 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 da da da. That's pretty boring. If I'm playing, doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka glat shaka doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka glat glat doon shaka doon. Then it's like, oh, the train is a moving. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, dude, I just played flams per bar, like one per bar, and it was cool because there was this thing underneath it. Or let's now take it over to the jazz world. I mean, that's what comping is. You're you're comping on the independence level, not on a mm. musical level. You're learning how to improvise with your left hand, your bass drum, while playing a two-voice ostinato if you choose to keep the hi-hat on two and four. Right. So my question for you, for the jazz world, is at what point does it stop being an ostinato? Is it just changing one ride cymbal note? Or is it that the fact that all four limbs are playing in concert and slightly improvising together... Now we've left the world of ostinatos. My perspective on that, which I'm sure will be different for any anyone who plays the genre, um, would be the ostinato is always undercurring. So that right hand ding, ding, a ding, ding, a ding is just the undercurrent. So even if the right hand deviates from that, subconsciously you're still locking in with that original ostinato. And Got then... It. So maybe it's the bass drum that cues the ride cymbal to jump off the pattern for a second. Or you wanted to do a, a two-limb unison thing with the snare drum and the ride cymbal kind of really hand sounding. Mm. But you're still going to come back to your ground, your your baseline ostinato yeah. at some point. So I don't think it's ever like, okay, don't play the jazz ride pattern anymore. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. always there. It's just either right. implied or explicit. But you should always be able to jump off it and on it. Yeah, I think what would make it stop being an ostinato to me is not that, obviously jazz is its own world, we're dealing with a different genre, but it's not that you stop doing the ride, it's that your bass drum or your snare forced the ride to change, then you don't have freedom under that ostinato. If you made a musical choice for the ride to change, fine. But if putting a bass drum on the uh of one where there wasn't naturally a ride forced you to play a ride, then you don't have freedom under that. Then it's not an ostinato because your other limbs are dictating what your ride symbol does. Yeah, your independence um, isn't isn't there yet. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And I think that that's where you know a lot. Of, I'm a lot of my students ask like, so are there only three foot ostinatos? Because I teach samba, tumbao, and bio, and it's like <laughs> no, no. These are the ones that. It's same with polyrhythms. Like, yes, there's there is a nine over eleven polyrhythm. How musical is it? Not ever <laughs> at all ever. So yes, there are complicated foot ostinatos, but I'm trying to show you the ones that I believe that instantly are musical and applicable. And if you just had independence over the samba foot ostinato, but you'd never heard of a bossa nova, the second somebody showed it to you, it wouldn't take you that long to learn it because you worked out your independence. Yeah. 
A bossa nova does not sound complicated, but if you've never worked out your independence, or the other thing that is really tricky for people playing bossa for the first time, maybe they have worked out their samba foot ostinato independence, but it's a two-voice ostinato, and they can't take out that left foot on mm. the ands without it falling apart. And so when they go to play those straight eights on the hi-hat and they can't use their left foot anymore, it's actually a new ostinato. Now it's a one-limb ostinato. Well, it's a two-limb, but right hand and right foot instead of right foot and left foot. Yeah, I feel like Brazilian and jazz are kind of related in that way. Like that that mm-hmm. ostinato that, we, that we've kind of considered the Brazilian ostinato is implied more often than good luck not. finding it yeah good luck finding it ever on a record <laughs> it's the equivalent of spang spang lang and and jazz yeah. like the goal is to just have that be your undercurrent rhythm but mm-hmm. the bass drum doesn't have to play all those notes all the time and in, in most cases right. i would think a band leader would be like hey dude we got a bass player you can right. you can chill with the bass drum on some of yeah. this stuff well, the same, exactly the same reason we had feathering so prevalent in jazz early on is because we didn't have amplification, and the right. it wasn't because people didn't know where the quarter note was. We had to fill up the room with low end because yeah. no one could hear the upright bass. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. All right, well, I think we've I think we kind of actually got somewhere with that. So where would you go with what would be the next foot ostinato? I was trying to think of one for me, and it would be the shuffle. Like the the double bass shuffle, but the hi hat plays the downbeat, the right foot plays the offbeat. Okay. What would be if you go if you've got your 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 jazz foot ostinato, which is all four on the bass drum, two or four on the hi hat. Okay. You got your samba, you got your bayon, you've got your tumbao. Yep. What would you do next? Uh, I still have yet to conquer any triplet based foot ostinato. I would love straight threes either as triplets or as 16th notes with that four against three rhythm but i would love a splash close close that doesn't stop because i do play in when i play uh tumbao i actually play splash close close splash close close to give a, a shaker a feel I would love for that to not have the stop. Splash, close, close, splash, close, close, splash, okay, close, cool. close. Whether that's felt as one E and a two E and get that almost Danny Carey feel, but only left foot. I feel like that's something Nick Virgilio could do very easy. That sounds like a, a my da, brain da, would da, collapse da, da, da. on itself instantly. <laughs> I, I would like that one. Um, but I, I went through, uh, you know, I don't know if you experienced this, being on the East Coast, but as a Californian kid playing Latin and Brazilian music, you had to have all it, – it's weird. You actually had to practice all the wrong variations because you didn't know how skilled the bass player was going to be. So you might do a Brazilian gig, but they just got some guy from Sac State College, and he plays a tumbao for all the Brazilian tunes. Mm. So you have to have your feet be able to play that tumbao foot ostinato while your hands are playing a jazz samba. And vice versa, I had to play samba foot ostinatos underneath a mambo. Holy crap. Is that a Pete Magadini lesson? I feel like he wrote an article about that. Like really? blending samba and – Then he African stole that movement. stuff from me. He's my teacher, <laughs> but he stole that from me because I remember going in and going like, hey, man, what do you do when you're going ding, cha, ding, 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 and the guy goes doom, da, doom, da, doom, pretty da, sure he wrote an article on that. <laughs> well, a couple then of that them. was based off my life. And I remember thinking, I, what is this dude doing? He's combining two different – Universes well, he lived in he lived in California too. He probably went through it where you just get there and it's like, well, I'm not going to fight you on stage about this, but you are in the wrong country right now. That's and so now I have to play a song go, do go, 
while my feet go doom chicka doom chicka doom. So yeah, so I think that that that's another reason why independence work can be so applicable in the moment. As soon as the leader counts us in, and I hear that bass player, you know, it's like I come in with like, all right, guys, here we go. Ah 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 ah. Doom to doom to doom. And I'm like, oh my God, are you really playing a samba right now? And then I just have to be like, okay, here we go, independence. And you got to do it. So, all right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you know what an ostinato is. And for any of you that have done wedding gigs or any kind of gigs where a random person plays a piano montuno in the middle of a bossa nova, you know, you know that you've been there. And once again, we have to thank our sponsors, uh, Dream Symbols who's been a longtime sponsor of the show. We don't need to, um, no introduction at this point, hopefully. And if you haven't had a chance to check out any Dream Symbols uh, for now, I guess you have to go to YouTube and check out some demos or check out some reviews that I've done and various people have done for Modern Drummer. Um, hopefully when we're no longer under lockdown, you can go to your local dealer, check out some Dream models. Um, there's lots of cool stuff in their catalog, and we are going to be announcing the winner of the giveaway of the Bliss 22-inch Gorilla Ride which is, I guess, their I think it's their heaviest symbol. It's very pingy. It's like a perfect um, rock ride. So we'll check that out. We'll give that away here in a bit. And this episode is also, also brought to you by RMI Records, which is an independent record label owned by the great drummer Russ Miller, uh, which has been around since 1994. He's got 18 records out on it, seven different artists. His own band, Arrival, has a bunch of records on it. He's got four records coming out this year. I talked in the intro about Kirk Covington. He also has a record coming out with Giovanni Hidalgo and Russ Miller. That's called Two Becomes One. That's due out in June. Uh, he has another record coming out with his band Arrival. That's called Soul, Mind, and Body. That comes out in August. A little bit more info on the Kirk Covington record. So this is actually Kurt's fourth solo project. Uh, but this is the first one where he's doing all the vocals. He's singing. He's playing keys, drums. He wrote and arranged all the material. And he has an 11-piece horn band. So really interesting. If you're not familiar with Kirk Covington as a drummer, multi-instrumentalist, um, definitely check him out. You're in for a treat once you start uncovering um, just how deep his career goes. This new record uh, they're describing as a 70s Chicago meets weather report style which is super cool. Kurt was actually Joe Zalwino's drummer, which is the keyboardist who was in Weather Report, who co-founded Weather Report. Um, so all of the Kurt and the Devil Horn stuff was filmed um, in addition to being recorded for audio. So there's a live in-session two-disc Blu-ray audio CD set that's available. Um, they've got a handful of the videos on YouTube. So if you search YouTube for Kurt Covington and the Devil Horns and then look for anything that's subtitled Live In Session, you're going to see some footage from this new project of his. Very cool. Follow Kurt on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, and you can purchase, you can stream all this stuff on Apple Music. You can purchase it on Amazon. It's also on Spotify. So thank you, R My Music. Um, let's get back to the show. All right, let's get to our scouting report. So I mentioned earlier this is based off the fact that we just had the NFL draft. And you're hearing tons of scouting reports. And scouting reports are usually somebody coming out of college and they give you just one sentence, little pieces, little chunks of information because they don't have time to give you the full rundown on this person's entire career. So they'll just say, all right, we've got Jordan Johnson coming out of LSU, rocket arms, 6'4", prototypical quarterback, avoids the rush. And it's just all these single sentences. So Mike and I tried to pick drummers that it wasn't whether we liked them or didn't like them. They were just really famous and we didn't know a ton about them. 
And it would be, what would the scouting report be for that drummer if you were trying to tell somebody else about them? Mm -hmm. So we were on the phone talking, and Mike mentioned, he's like, dude, I actually have to do kind of a Rolling Stones thing. And even though we know a lot about uh, Charlie Watts' career, doesn't mean you've dug into his playing. So you chose Charlie Watts. Absolutely, yep. And I said, I was like, man, you know who I've never really looked into at all was Lenny White. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those names where if somebody said, well, what do you think about Lenny White? I'd be like, ah, oh, he's great, man. But I know <laughs> nothing about it. It's like, and I would say the stock lines like, oh, return to forever. What are you kidding me? <laughs> Bitches brew. Oh, my God. The guy's amazing. Red Clay, but I know. Hubbard, yeah. yeah, Freddie Hubbard. Oh, my God. The guy's killing it. And then I had to ask you the question that proves I know nothing about him. I'm like, he's still alive, right? And you're, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah, he's still alive. I'm like, okay. And then you said, I think. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. So though, that's the reason we picked these drummers. It was because there are names that have been around since we were both kids. They've been famous since we were kids. But we really didn't know a lot about it. So I'm going to mm-hmm. run through the scouting report on Lenny White. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the first couple lines you'll hear is very Wikipedia style. And then everything after that will be only from my observations. Keep in mind, scouting reports are almost always wrong. like almost russell wilson cannot avoid the rush too short all of his passes will get blocked down will never be a starter in the nfl (laughs) wrong so here so if you disagree with my lenny white observations i'm okay with that what was johnny manziel scouting report Uh, keep him out of vegas (laughs) (laughs) all the talent in the world and we'll throw it away if you're listening johnny sorry yeah okay here we go (laughs) Lenny White scouting report. Uh, He plays the position of drummer. My projection is he'll get picked in the top 100. He was born on December 19th of 1949. He's best known for his gig with Return to Forever with Chick Corea, Aldi Miola, and Stanley Clark on bass. Uh, He also played on Bitches Brew with by uh, by Miles Davis and played on a million other projects and was the leader of his own stuff. All right, here comes the scouting report. Favors syncopated grooves over non-syncopated ones. I okay. I honestly rarely heard him play. It was always yeah, very Steve Gaddish, but before Steve, so or around the same time, but it didn't seem overly influenced by. Likely to choose a crystal clear ride cymbal over a washy one. He had a really open drum set sound, but I always could hear every single ride cymbal note like ting, ting, ticka, ding, ticka, ding, ticka, ding, ding. Right. And so that stood out to me. Wide open tom sound. Wouldn't mind playing concert toms if that's all that was available. (laughs) True. Uh, While having a wide open tom sound, you might find two to three pillows inside his bass drum. It was always like the thuddiest kick ever, but these massive toms. Uh-huh. And so it was weird because I would expect him to have the rezo head off of the kick with nothing in it and be wide open too. But it, his kick sound didn't match his toms at all. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that's kind of just the way that the 70s sounded. By the way, I want everyone to know this is not based off of current Lenny White. I thought, let me go to like the heart of when Lenny White became famous in yeah. the first place. So all this is based off of his drumming in the uh, mid-70s. Drummers that you might hear in Lenny White's playing include Mike Clark and Billy Cobham. I heard Hmm. all the syncopations of Mike Clark's funk playing, and I heard all the bombastic single-stroke rolls across the toms of Billy Cobham's playing. Yeah, good assessment. 
loves accenting every note with the musicians around him. <laughs> he does not let you play while going, oh, yeah, man, you got this. He plays it on the toms with you. So I, he was very, very, I would say the thing with that is he has big ears. He big hears ears, yeah. everything around him. All right. would fit. So now we're going to jump to the modern thing. Of like, well, what if he was just hitting his stride right now? He would fit well in Dream Theater, Animals as Leaders, and Periphery. Mm. I think he would be amazing at keeping that quarter note ostinato in the gent world while accenting everything that the band does. And last thing is wonderful mix of linear and nonlinear elements. Now, drumming is a mix of linear and nonlinear. What I mean by that is <laughs> in a single groove, he will have a very specific section of four to six to eight notes that is very linear followed by a little stab or a little something that's non-linear and he'll repeat that every bar so it really is a true mix of a section of linear followed by a section of non-linear mm -hmm. he's not doing it on purpose it's just how he hears the drums so that is my scouting report on lenny white do you want to play a little clip of lenny sure what do we got all right yeah uh, yep <laughs> we'll do that <laughs> we'll do whatever you sent me all right, so I'm from Returner Forever. This is that live clip from uh, an early concert with Returner Forever. Boom. So Lenny White, can I can I weigh in a tiny bit on Lenny White for my Please do. I think yeah. for me, he's a drummer that was really hard to get into because it's not easy to understand what that man's doing. So my scouting report for him is it's a lot of it's a lot of um street grit. Like yeah. he's he's not playing by the rules and therefore he might confuse you, but if you kind of zoom out and take a look at what he's doing, he's got his own way and it's just as it's more creative. I mean, so I think he's creative. Like, if you want someone who I've, can go for it and not have to play by all the rules, he's mm -hmm. he's a good guy. Yeah, I've walked away from Lenny White probably five times in my lifetime as a drummer. It's not like I just heard about him. It was that, like, oh, let me give this a shot. Nope. And it was never, <laughs> nope, I don't like it. It was always, nope, I don't get it. Yeah. And the thing is, he would show up on those discs that Modern Drummer would put out, like, Oh, we've got an all-star CD with <laughs> yeah. Steve Smith, Dave Weckl, Vinnie Caliuta, Lenny White. I'm like, oh, his name's in there. And his track was always the one that I was like, nope, I don't get it. <laughs> and so uh, this was actually a really fun exercise to be like, don't try to get it. Just try to 
find some common ground with it and find like what are his tendencies yeah. it's not good or bad it's just tendencies and i think that's why this kind of scattering report exercise was a lot of fun to do because i didn't have to get it all i had to do was try to find his tendencies yeah yeah i think a modern guy would put in that same ballpark as justin brown that we talked about a couple episodes ago like you're not going to totally. get what he's doing at first. So just, just That's observe so funny. it. <laughs> People ask me like, hey, man, you said he's like one of your top five drummers of all time. You said you totally have known him since he was a kid. You've never mentioned him once. And and my response is because you can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want it coming back on me like it. it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. That's why I give you the that's why I give you the easy dessert. I don't just show up with some chef's table meal that you will never understand. Yeah. Justin like, Brown, Zach Danziger, Zach Hill. Totally. Let's throw them all in there. Oh yeah. Uh Chris Dave. Chris if Chris is like with his own band, um man. Oh, Ari Honig. Yeah. First time I heard that, I was like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to like the first note. Kring! I was like, Yep, oh, I'm out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know what? Your favorite guy um, from Wilco. For yeah, if you don't, Koji. if you're not ready for it, Glenn, uh, Billy Martin, for sure. Yeah, I just did a yeah. uh, a web interview with Glenn that we'll be publishing this week. So if you're listening to this episode, it's probably on the new Modern Drummer YouTube channel where he did his top ten solo drum albums. Which that's awesome. And he was being it was really cool because he's like, do you mean like solo? Like the whole record has to be solo, just drums, no tracks, nothing. Like yeah, man, have go as specific as you want. And he just dropped a hammer with like twenty. I was gonna say I didn't know there were ten. Yeah, he. I mean, he couldn't. <laughs> he's like, I got ten, and at the end, he's like, I've got like a handful more. I just have to mention, and they're all just so crazy creative. Like really. So if you're if you're curious about where Glenn gets his weirdo side. These ten records, like oh, if if you can normalize this crazy stuff, then Kochi's going to sound like pop music to you. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, let's get into your scouting report for Mister. All right, Charlie I didn't Watts. go nearly as as structured, but Charlie Watts was was the uh, the candidate for my All Star team. I was researching, and um, let's see, how would you describe him? I think in the beginning, frustrated jazz drummer, um, which. So I think that maybe it took him a while to kind of get comfortable. But then once he found his groove, ultimate team player, um, leads when he needs to, follows when he needs to, um, consistent as hell. His sound is just instantly, it's Charlie Watts. It's not the most like distinct. It does sound like Steve Gadd, like, oh, that's Steve Gadd or that's John Bonham. Charlie Watts is more of a, normal sound but when you really dig into it you're like oh that's that's charlie watts like there's unmistakable that snare drum sound is charlie watts that like i said earlier that weird kind of herky jerky but still really in the pocket feel charlie watts um can be rock solid when he needs to can go with the flow when he needs to if if the, if it needs to move he's gonna move if he needs to hold it down and not let it budge He's he's like a lock. That's the big thing I learned about him was I kind of thought the band was loosey-goosey with the time. But there's some live cuts from from the Stones that, like, he doesn't budge. It sounds like a drum machine. Like, okay, this dude can hold it down when he needs to. But he knows his music, so he lets it breathe. So team player, creative without being selfish. He's very selfless. Um, what about the actual sound itself? Is it a tight sound? Is it small drums? Is it bombastic? I mean, I know, it's but it's the I just transitional to jazz to rock sound. So it's it's okay. it's high, bright sounds, 
but maybe no bottom heads. Or the toms might be ringy, the bass drum is punchy, the snare is open and honky, but he might throw a wallet on it. So it's like this transition. I think putting him in the same world as like uh, Densmore with the doors, drum sound-wise. It's a jazz sound, but they've had to adapt to the more kind of rock vibe. Yeah, um, And he's just been super consistent with that sound. It's it's unbelievable. Um, so the, for me, the Charlie Watts bass drum sound, single ply coated head, no front head. Put a like a like a heavy small pillow inside. And it's and just instant. Does he play a small kit, big kit? I thought it was a small kit, but it's not. 22, 13, 16. You're lying. No, that's what he uses. If you say Charlie Watts, I literally think a bop kit, nope. actually. 22, 13, 16. Or 22, what is he, 12. Seven 16. foot eight? <laughs> <laughs> I can see him in my mind playing small. Wow, well, that's amazing. He may be on the early records, but again, I think I'm, sure. I was zeroing in on like that mid period, let it bleed era where like the Stones became what everyone thinks of the Stones. The early stuff, they were sure. just a. A blues band, a white blues band. But yeah, I think it's a 12, 16, 22. I only have 13, 16, 22. But this old Sling Link kit got me there quickly. Um, yeah, That's so awesome. what else do I got to say about Charlie Watts? Um, I would say wise beyond his years, even though he's old as dirt now. But hey, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think when I look back at some of that stuff, and I'm not – a tell you right now i'm not a big stones fan where like i know all the stuff but he's somebody where i don't think he'd be embarrassed by his drum parts from 30 years ago yeah simplicity um he goes with what it's timelessness so there's no mm-hmm. there's no trendiness in his drumming at all um yeah i think he's 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 more like a, a well-aged scotch than like a trendy hybrid fusion tequila or something yeah. <laughs> he's definitely he's not a Zima. He's not like a wine cooler <laughs> no. from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, he's no white claw. <laughs> <laughs> Little Bartles and James. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I would be so more than happy to do more of these scouting reports, especially from your submissions. If you guys want to submit like, hey, this drummer has a big name, but you guys never talk about him or her on the podcast, can you do a scouting report on that person? I would love it because I think it's just a really fun way to dig in without the pressure of uh, – and by the way, when I said Mike sent me uh, – what what did you send me? It's because I actually asked Mike, do you have any reference of where I should start? This guy's career is so massive. Mm. I really don't know what makes Lenny White Lenny White. So he sent me a, a Return to Forever track that it was, or um, a YouTube clip that it was like, okay, this is kind of quintessential Lenny White. Start there and then branch out. And I did that. Um, and I would love to do that with more artists because – there are just too many great players in this world for Mike and I to know every tendency of all of them. All right, now it's time to get into our super candy. Uh, this is really cool. So Doc Sweeney sent you three drums. Yep. Same exact drum, except for the wood was different, right? Yeah, so this is the Doc Sweeney Pure series, which what they've done is they've steam-bent um, snare drum shells, and they're not using reinforcement rings. I don't know if anyone else has done that. So it's the—I think it's the first of its kind with just a bent piece of wood with no re-rings. It's stable. They figured out how to make it stable, which makes it the purest example of what that timber can do when it's when it's steam bent into a shell. Um, so they sent five and a half by fourteen identical drums. Um, they all have the inward flange hoops, like the old Slinger style hoops. Um, eight lugs, I believe. One, two, three, four, eight lugs. 
they all came with, which is a, a big factor in, in the sound ultimately, they came with fiber skin heads, batter heads, diplomat fiber okay. skins. Uh, but other than that, they're identical. I mean, they're all identical except for the wood. So one, the first one is ash, the second one is oak, and the third one is elm. That's the order that I played them. So that's probably the order that we should listen to them and and discuss them. Um, so, yeah. So what do we think Ash is going to do? That's the first question I always ask myself. It's going to play a halftime shuffle. <laughs> it's going to have platinum <laughs> albums sitting behind it. And it's going to be very Ash. So niche. I had, that's the one. I own an Elm drum that he sent me, that okay. Doc Sweeney sent me. Uh, by the way, what's his, is it Kevin? Kevin. Who's who's the who's Doc Sweeney? Steve. 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 <laughs> Whatever. Well, there's three guys, but Steve's the one that you that we all deal with. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he sent me an elm. I think he sent me an elm drum. Uh, but uh, so I think I kind of knew what that one was going to do. Ash was the one where I really had no clue, and it surprised me the most. So I don't want to make any predictions because I have listened to these. Okay. Uh, but I but going into it, I really didn't know is this like a maple, a birch, a wood, or is it a metal sound? I had no clue. Okay, I guess I'll... Let's give it a listen. Right, let's check it out. So we'll do like three different tunings. High, medium, and low. no clue what that drum does <laughs> what i mean by that is i it's because it's the first drum i'm listening to in this series yeah it just sounds like a drum so i have to say it actually is would be an awesome drum if you weren't trying to add something to your collection but instead you were starting your collection yes that's what i found too it's the most maple quote unquote of of the bunch it kind of yep. just does what a what a drum's supposed to do with no fan, huge fanfare. Although, if you go down to the super low tuning, all three of these drums were like shockingly fat sounding in the super low tuning. And I will say, since I have heard all three, they all sounded like great drums. But if you wanted to hear the difference, actually, the low tuning is where they were way different than each other. Yeah, all usable, not better or worse. But I, that was when I was like, oh, that sounds nothing like the last one, mm -hmm. where the medium and high was like, okay, I, I hear that they are different, but in the low tuning, it was way different. Okay, so. This that was Ash 
And man, I'm still kind of blown away by what you said about the re-rings. So that's literally a plank of wood bent yep. into a cylinder mm-hmm. and staying in a cylinder. And when you take the heads off, it doesn't go. <laughs> I should probably take the heads off and see what happens. <laughs> it's like, hey, I sent you the drum. Never take the heads off. Otherwise, it'll go. Bang. <laughs> I mean, that's just incredible that they were, that he's able to do that. Okay. So next up is. Okay. Now I see right away why oak has made its way into our wood world in so many kits, so many snares, like so many companies offer maple, birch, and oak. Mm-hmm. The overtones and the low tuning were almost non-existent, mm-hmm. so it was just super just fat. And I was actually surprised at how snappy and sensitive it sounded in the mid and high tunings. Yeah, this um, – yeah, for me, it was an immediate reaction – like I, I played the ash drum and got kind of accustomed to what these drums are going to sound like. I put the oak drum, started with the exact same tuning that I started with the ash drum. It just sounded like the brightness was, I mean, not the brightness, but the the presence was Sizzle. just cranked. Yeah. It was just so, yeah. so present by comparison. Totally. And that's not, like I told you, when we started the podcast, I said, I thought I knew what oak did. Clearly, <laughs> I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about because... <laughs> Why would this one have the EQ kind of V'd out on it? Yeah. It's oak. It's supposed to be <laughs> dead and thuddy. And like you can only play oak on your Mumford and Sons gig in my mind. And then I was like, or not, I guess. It's way off. Oh, man. Yeah. I like this one for having like just extra high end that I didn't have to EQ into oh. it. So there was no artificial brightness in this drum. And I love that he just went with like a really, really beautiful clear lacquer so you really do see how different these are grain wise um steve if you're listening this one would look really good at my house because it matches my (laughs) floors Uh, i have oak hardwood so all right and the last one up is elm this was the oddball for me i had no idea what to expect
Okay, for me, similar to the Ash, it it sounds like a drum. It sounds like a really good drum. Um, I I don't know, man. It's kind of tough. I think that these drums, because they're the exact same size, you have the same tunings. We've talked about this so many times on this podcast. If you have the same tuning, the same heads, and the same size, it's really not going to be a massive, massive difference. Uh, And your ear will adapt to it very quickly. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the ultimate lesson is if you like the way these drums sound, then just get a Doc Sweeney drum, and it'll give you that that sound. And then if you like the way a Ludwig metal snare sounds, then just get a Ludwig metal snare, and it'll it'll give you that sound. That said, okay, let me ask you. Oh, go ahead. The Elm was the one to me that I spent the longest playing because I felt like I took the longest for me to figure out what the hell was going on with it. Okay. It also had the most like aluminum quality. Like wow. transparent, kind of dry, but still with a lot of personality. It just felt like there was something connecting me with the old Superphonic. Like it's one of those drums that will work on everything and it's just funky enough and dry enough. It stands out. Yeah. It kind of had that vibe. And I don't know why, but I spent like a half hour longer testing this drum than the other two. Okay. Could First of all, could you feel a difference between the three woods? No. Playing them? Nope. Okay. Everything was identical. The snare response, everything felt exactly the same. I mean, physically. So obviously yeah. what I was hearing in my in-ears was giving me a different reaction. The oak just felt like it, I wanted to just play more notes and play more aggressively. The elm just had me exploring a little bit more, like vibey, vibiness. Now, I know it doesn't work this way. Uh, otherwise, you would actually have opened a store by now. But <laughs> if you had to send back two and keep one, which one are you keeping? I'm keeping hmm, – knowing that I would primarily be using it for recording, I'd keep the Oak because it requires the least EQ, therefore the least digital artifacts and all that stuff. Just put a mic on it and it's ready, pretty much ready to send off to be mixed. Yeah. If I'm looking for one that I think is the most interesting, I would go with the Elm. If I'm going with go. the one I think looks the coolest – It'd be the Elm. Unfortunately, the Ash would not get chosen for any of these for me because I have maple drums. I think the Ash just sounds like a really nice quality drum. Yeah. I think the Ash is a great drum. One, it's gorgeous, but it's also a great drum. If somebody – if you are that person that always have to has to say like your little tidbit after somebody gives you a compliment, like, <laughs> like oh, nice car. Oh, thank you. It's electric. Like instead of just being like, thanks. <laughs> like if you wanted – like nice snare. Thank you. It's ash. Like, uh, oh, I yeah. thought it was maple. Like, if you need that one little thing, the ash is perfect for that. Uh, I think the elm would probably be the snare I would add to my collection. Not because I think it's the best sounding, because it's the one that I don't currently have sound-wise. Mm-hmm. And then, but if I was just picking out of the three of these, like you said, the least amount of work and just consistency. Okay, it's going to sound like a snare drum at all tunings. The Oak just killed that thing is awesome. But I think all three of these are beautiful. And what you said, especially when you said that they all felt the same, I think that has a lot to do with who made it. Yes. I think you would find that in a sugar drum. I think you would yes. find that in a Craviato. I think a better shootout would be compare one Doc Sweeney to one sugar percussion to one Danette to one Craviato. Yeah. Because they're so very different. Like I, when you say sugar percussion, I immediately think that's a drum that just that wants to be hit. Like those mm. drums, they explode and they they have a really wide, broad sound. <laughs> Way to do that right when you say explode. 
Skadoosh! You know, and I just think that's indicative yeah. of, sh- of, of, but at the same time, very musical. And the, the stuff from Doc, it's like classic, but it's got a certain punchy and just broadness. And Craviato, it's, it's a vintage vibe. Like, I think mm. that my experience is more about who made it, what sound were they hearing in their head. They were going to get that wood to get that sound no matter what. So yeah. they're going to figure out Isn't how to that make crazy? that wood do that. That's crazy that, like, the way that you and I tune and the way you and I EQ and mic something, they're doing that before the drum is built. Exactly. It's in their head, and they're shaving off little things, and they're changing the bearing edge because they know the end product while they're actually doing it. That's insane to me. Yeah. It's, that's the art wow. of it. I think that's why we should support all these small craftsmen because they're, they're able to take the time to really do that versus here's our template, cut it, shape it, put it out there. That's our drum. Yeah. Which you got to do that too if you're just if you're dealing with just numbers. But when you're dealing with handcrafted, one drum at a time boutique stuff, it's pretty special, and it just makes me feel more excited to play, knowing that like this is someone's masterpiece for that day. You know, yeah. like that's their one thing they made that day, and this is and I'm getting the chance to play it. It's really special. Yeah, I I, I got to tell you, every time I talk to. Uh, a drum builder and we speak on the phone. Uh, and I, re- I remember going through the building process with Jefferson over at sugar. Uh, I just, re- I just, at the end, I'm always thinking, how is it not more expensive? You're putting everything you have into this yeah. over the course of multiple days and machining these parts sometimes. And then it's not more know, expensive some- because we're cheap and we don't have any money. <laughs> no, totally. I told, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you put this in any other industry and they'd be like, Think about what a Martin uh, guitar goes for. Oh God! You yeah. know, like or a Taylor. I mean, any, any like handcraft. That's because instrument. nobody that's actually playing guitar for a living has one. <laughs> it's all doctors and <laughs> the same person that starts drums with a forty-two piece DW. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to dip my toe into the drum world. What do you think about DWs? I'm like, I don't think about DWs if you're dipping your toe into the drum world. <laughs> Check out the PDP catalog. All right. Old man Johnston out. <laughs> okay, let's get into our dream. Or we got some listener questions, and then we'll get to our dream contest winner. All right. So, um, gosh, we're actually over an hour. We're going to have to skip listener questions this week, unfortunately. Fine. <laughs> we I'm have okay a batch of them. Maybe next week we'll do a primarily listener question episode because we've been neglecting them. Uh, we have some good ones, too. So, anyway, let's get to the winner of our dream contest shall we yes so this contest was you needed to take a clave any of the what we considered to be the four standardized claves even though there's many more and you needed to tweak it by displacing one single note inside that thing that you've known your whole life and we actually got quite a few responses on instagram and it was really cool i gotta say some of you i was just thinking oh the way you did that if i had to do that it would throw off everything if i just placed that note that's the note that i can't move mm-hmm. can't move that note uh and sometimes i i would say with our winner i had to be like well where did you start and then how did you end up here because i haven't read the description to find out how you displaced it and i was like wow man you could move one note in a clave and you would never recognize that the genesis of it was a clave that's, and our winner did that yeah, that's what i loved about it was is as I was going through all these entries, like I, I would, if you just said, "What is he basing here? She basing this beat on?" I wouldn't have said, "Well, that's obviously a three-two clave." I'm, oh, I would instantly say uh, DC go-go music. Right, <laughs> that's what I heard. Like, Which is kind of like, revealing oh, how the universal rhythms are basically three over two. I mean, it's it's 
just human nature. So you want to give the final announcement? No, I won't because uh, I don't have it in front of me. But I do know that I watched it and he has a minor groove bell. So thank you for – I think he does. I can't totally tell, but it – it looks like he did, so thanks for getting my cowbell. So the winner is, I'm probably going to mispronounce your name, and I think you've even sent in listener questions in the past, but it is Sean Pally? Paley? Either way, yep. you win the Dream Gorilla Ride, so I will be reaching out to you via your messages and get your address. Thank you to everyone who participated. We do have another Dream giveaway to do soon. We've got a uh, Dark Matter flat earth ride to give away oh, next okay i'm totally competing in that one <laughs> don't tell minel <laughs> that is awesome all right well i hope you guys enjoyed this episode hope you enjoyed everything that we got a chance to talk about and we are going to send you out with a former camper longtime student scott MacArthur. he's calling this one the wave Take it. he's playing a great renowned kit pop sizes sonar aq2 snare some sabian free cats uh, yeah all right, everybody. Check out Lenny White. He's always been one of my favorite drummers. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>